It is good to see a full house on a Labor Day weekend. Uh, so excited and honored to have you here. Welcome to Colonial Hill. Uh, raise your hand if, uh, if you're a NASCAR fan. All right, seven of you. That's great. Uh, <laughs> If you don't know, NASCAR racing is where a whole bunch of guys and one girl drive really fast around a track that looks something like this, looks something like this, and I'll be honest, I don't fully understand NASCAR. For the longest time, I thought NASCAR was an acronym for non-athletic sport centered around rednecks. That's what I thought it meant. (laughs) The danger about talking about NASCAR is fans of NASCAR also own guns and like to kill things. So if you're a NASCAR fan, I'm just teasing. They're just jokes. Uh, I could learn to like NASCAR. It's better than tennis. But anyway, I do know, I know Pastor Cliff is a massive fan of NASCAR. Here he is with uh, legend Dale Earnhardt Sr. Everybody uh, remembers Dale. He was, uh, he was famous for being number three, and I think Cliff took it a little too far the last time he watched him race. But... Um, <laughs> The reason I bring up NASCAR is because I'm thinking NASCAR is the perfect metaphor for how we do life today. Our culture actually fuels this race mentality, and I don't see any indication it's going to slow down anytime soon either. In fact, this picture really sums up as a perfect example of how busy life can be. Health and safety, 25 miles an hour, and we're doing life double speed. Uh, and we not only live fast, we actually view people that are busy with a sense of prestige. We value them. We honor them. In our culture, we greet people and we ask them, hey, are you keeping busy, right? Are we keeping busy as if that's an honorable thing to do, like that's the new normal? And yet when I counsel people and I listen to their pain, the pain I hear from their point of view, it always connects. It always connects with the pace of life that they choose, And by the way, the pace of life is a choice. And you may not agree with me and that's okay. You'll get to heaven one day and see that I was right, okay? (laughs) But being a pastor for 15 years, I've had the opportunity to speak to small crowds and big crowds and one-on-one counseling and marriage counseling and parent-to-child counseling. And the number one relational issue that I hear is time. It's time. People don't have time for family. I don't have time for meaningful friendships. I don't have time to develop my faith. And I want, you to, I want to ask you to be honest with me this morning. How many of you would be brave enough to admit that the way you live life could be described by others as a little bit too busy? Raise your hand. Come on, keep them up. I want you to look around. I want you to see that you're not alone. Okay? And if you're not raising your hand, we're so glad you could visit from Iowa for the, for the holiday weekend. We're so glad you're here. All right. <laughs> the impact of busyness can be seen in all different types of ways. It happens at the grocery store. You've done this, right? Where you get to the grocery store line and you got your, your, your cart full of stuff and you start looking at all the lines and you're like, okay, should I do self-checkout? I know how fast I can run things and we've got three lanes open and you're, you're doing the algorithms in your head. You're multiplying, okay, how many people are in the line times the number of items in their cart divided by the age of the checker. You've done this. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, carry the one. I'm going to choose this one. And then it's not over. You're still like, you're pressured. You're like looking and if I would have gotten that line, I'd, I'd be ahead right now. And you're, you're upset about it. And if you ever win, if you're ever the first one out and you, you high-five the bagger and the checker and you're pointing everybody else losers, right? When you're walking out the grocery store, you do this. Maybe I'm the only one. 
But busyness is also displayed in less humorous ways. Busy people have a lack of personal depth, which leads to superficial relationships on earth and a struggling or stagnant relationship with God. And for those of us in the room who battle busyness, and I'm one with you, here's my stab to the gut question. In your NASCAR lifestyle, where is Jesus? He's in the car with you, riding shotgun, cheering you on. Is he part of your pit crew and he's making you go a little bit faster, getting new tires on you? Is he in the tower, giving you directions on the turn by turn? Or is he even at the track at all? Maybe he's not even in the stands, but he's trying to woo you away from the stadium in this NASCAR lifestyle that is wounding your life. Here's my message this morning in a sentence. I think God's people are choosing NASCAR lifestyles and simultaneously trying to follow a savior who walks and wants us to walk with him. Let me say that again. I think we're choosing NASCAR lifestyles and simultaneously trying to follow a Jesus who walks and wants us to walk with him. And wherever you are in this spiritual journey this morning, I I want you to know this. If Jesus had one message for us on Labor Day weekend where we celebrate the American labor movement, he'd say, I came that you might have life. He wouldn't say, I came so you'd be more busy or you'd be overwhelmed or you'd be stressed out or that you might be hurried. As a matter of fact, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Like, I don't want you just to have a good life. I want you to have a full life. I want you to have the best life. In fact, the message translation says, Jesus has come to give you a better life than you've ever dreamt of. Like, that's part of the heart of following Jesus for me, is it's not just the promise of heaven, that's really cool, but it's the promise of a better, abundant, full, amazing, great life on earth. And then we have another promise from Jesus in Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Some of you, that sounds so amazing and foreign. Rest for my soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, I think there is a direct connection from abundant life and rest for our souls. And some of you are going, I can't even get past that last line. What is, my yoke is easy. I don't even like eggs. What is he talking about? Listen, let me define that for you. When he says, take my yoke upon you, it's to be connected to him, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you means to join in with him. The yoke was a common reference that was used a lot in biblical times, and it was just this wooden frame. That's kind of what it looked like. And it would fit over the shoulders of animals and it would harness them to one another. So as they're, they're working, they would work in tandem together. They would share the burden, they would share the load. It's not just one animal, but they'd work together in partnership. What Jesus is saying is, hey, read, hey, fill in your name. Be yoked to me, not to a fuel-injected vehicle. Be yoked to me and learn to walk with me, learn the rhythms of my life and how I love and how I engage people. My yoke is easy and my burden, which you will share, is light. It's light. Think about when God invaded humanity as Jesus. God became flesh. He robed himself in flesh as Jesus. And he came to this earth 
Because he loves you so much. You know that, right? He loves you so much. And that's why he came to earth is he said, I, I got to show him what it looks like to do life. And so he came down and, and he lived for 33 years. And the problem, the whole, the whole problem with you and I is we, we make mistakes. We fall short of the glory of God. We sin. I'm the chief among us. And we, we mess up. And when we make mistakes, the, the penalty or the wages of that sin is death. Like that's the price that has to be paid. When I go to a restaurant and I order food, there's a price on that bill. The bill that comes with our sin is death. But God did not give us what our sins deserve. He gave his son Jesus what our sins deserve instead. So Jesus who had no sin became our sin so that in him, in a relationship with Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So when God sees me one day, he doesn't see my sin. God sees his son in me. He sees Jesus in me because I put my faith in him. So you think about when, when Jesus, what was the character of Jesus when he was on earth? He was chill. He really was. Jesus was chill. He was relaxed. I love this quote by J.B. Phillips. He's a famous theologian. And in his book, Your God is Too Small, he said this, if there's one thing we sh that should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God, and nature in the Bible is that he, Jesus, was never in a hurry. Long preparation, careful planning, and slow growth would seem to be the leading characteristic of a spiritual life. It is refreshing to study the poise and quietness of Christ. His task and responsibility have driven man out of his mind, but he was never in a hurry, he was never impressed by numbers, and he was never a slave of the clock. So what did Jesus model? A couple of things if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus stopped for others. He just found a way to stop for other people. In Mark chapter five, Jesus gets off the boat and he is met by what is called a synagogue official, just a high-ranking official in, in the church, whose daughter is deathly sick. And this high-ranking official says, Jesus, please come to my house and heal my daughter. Jesus says, absolutely, let's go. Well, the problem was they began to walk to this man's house and the Bible says that everywhere Jesus went, went, crowds began to gather. So a parade started forming around Jesus and as they're walking, a woman in the crowd who was desperate for healing and had a, a blood condition for many, many years, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his clothes, maybe I would be healed. And so she starts making her way through the crowd, trying to get to Jesus and she touches him and then Jesus stops the parade. And he asks what seems like a pretty dumb question to me. He goes, who touched me? And that had to be confusing for the man who's like, I've got a deathly ill daughter. We've got to get, I'm trying to get you from point A to point B and someone's stopping me. What do you mean who touched you? We're in a crowd. I touched you. He touched, everybody touched you. What do you mean he touched you? Like we're in a crowd, Jesus, let's go. And Jesus is wrestling with this, somebody, no, somebody touched me. Well, yeah, a lot of people touched you. And I've read this event many, many times, but for some reason, verse 32 has really leapt off the pages for me. Look at what verse 32 says. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And I thought that's what love does. Love stops. Love looks around. Love glances to find out who's in need. Love notices, and Jesus models the love that stops for others. So let me ask you this question. How do you do with interruptions in your day? 
Do you look at them as inconveniences or opportunities to love somebody? If you get our contact, which is our newsletter, I I usually end it, not this month, but I usually end it with, I'm never too busy to be interrupted by someone I love. Like you're not, I'm sorry to bother you, Pastor Reed. I love it, come on. Why? Because Jesus modeled that. Here's the second thing about Jesus. Is Jesus' sense of timing confused others? Jesus kind of took his time. He just, he did, he took his time. If you want an example of that, look at the event in John 11 with Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus is one of Jesus' very close friends. And verse three says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Not just any friend, your dear friend, he's sick, the one you love. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He just clarifies, I I do love them a whole bunch. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That makes me laugh, (laughs) right? Hey, Jesus, one of your best friends is sick. Oh, cool. I'll be there in a couple days. (laughs) Like, you can heal him. No, no, no. I'm going to chill here. Right? I'm not sure Jesus would be a good pastor on our staff. Hey, Jesus, you need to go see Marge. She's on hospice. What's today? Sunday. I'll go Friday. No, no, Jesus, you need to go right now. His sense of timing confused other people. And the third thing Jesus did was was he, he called others to slow down too. He called others to slow down too. In in Luke 10, Jesus communicates this relaxed truth to Martha. Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha, and again, dear friends of his. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and this is what people would do at that time of a great teacher or rabbi. They just sit at his feet and worship him, and that's what Mary is doing. Well, Martha is scrambling, right? She's cleaning house and getting the food ready and just doing all this stuff and probably getting exasperated with her sister, Mary. Like, why don't you help a little bit? I'm trying to get everything ready for the Savior of the world, right? And Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's running around. And you can almost hear her whining. Martha says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Like, help me out, Lord. Tell her to get off her feet. Come on, let's go. You know what Jesus says? Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I think we've turned following Jesus into a race when it's really more of a walk. It's more about enjoying his presence and focusing on him. And I understand this is counterintuitive to how we think. It's counterintuitive even to the way we think we're supposed to live for Christ. We think we gotta do more. Like Jesus wants us to do more. I gotta do more. I gotta be in more Bible studies and I gotta do all. If I do more, he'll be more happy with me. You know what? He never said that. You know what he did say? When he was asking Matthew 22, what's the greatest of all the commandments? The greatest. 600 plus, summarize them. Give me your top two. He said, love God and love other people. Those are the top two. Love God and love other people. I'm not suggesting a lazy life. That's not my suggestion today. I'm suggesting less race and more love. That's my suggestion. So how do we get there? How do we remove ourselves from the race? I wanna be really practical with you this morning and so 
I came up with this illustration of the stoplight, the traffic light. You all see traffic lights uh, everywhere you go. There's these traffic lights, right? And, and the green means go, good. And the red means stop. And the yellow means <laughs> Some of you said go faster. The Christians said caution, slow down. That's what you said. <laughs> so we're going to start with the yellow one. We're going to start with the yellow. Yellow means caution. And whether we violate it or not, it just says, hey, watch out. Slow down. This is how you're going to remit it. remember this. So the first one is we're going to slow down to determine what's beneath our yes. Slow down to determine what is beneath our yes. And that little word yes is one of the most dangerous words in the English language. Yes is what makes us so busy. So ask yourself, why am I saying yes? Why am I saying yes? And you have to slow down to get beneath the surface of why you're busy, why you're stressed, why you're out of control. Well, I've just got a lot to do. All right, Spanky, that's not good enough. Like we're gonna have to like get really deep. What's been, why are you saying yes? You're saying yes, why? Why are you saying, you keep saying yes to more and more things and you're getting more and more busy. Why are you saying yes? Because here's the deal, busy people are broken people. You show me somebody who's busy, I'll show, somebody, show you somebody who is broken. They're broken emotionally, they're broken relationally, they're broken spiritually. Case in point, Reed Johnson. I get really busy sometimes, and then I get very broken sometimes. Every time I find myself too busy, it points back to what I call unneeded yeses. I've just said yes to a lot because... And I started thinking, why do I say that? Because hidden under this 38-year-old man is a little boy who's a people pleaser. And I want to make people happy. And so people ask things of me and I go, yeah. And I do things that I don't have time to do. And it's just going to cause more stress and chaos and overwhelming in, in my life. And I, I, I do. I, I'm, anybody else a people pleaser? Thank you for being honest. Bunch of liars. Okay. <laughs> the people pleaser in me says yes. Well, that yes is making me busy, and ultimately, that's just my own insecurity. So when I'm busy, I'm broken emotionally. And that's me. I don't know about you. But if you're ever going to get a handle on this, if you're ever going to live the life that we're called to live as followers of Jesus, you've got to get underneath why you say yes to so many things and what may be broken about you that's causing you to say that yes. There's a price you have to pay for busyness, and oftentimes, it's steep. The red light, the red light is to stop. Stop something this week. Stop it. Just say stop. Everybody say no. no. Now say it with some conviction. No. Now say it in Spanish. No. Hey, you're bilingual. Who knew? All right. Praise the Lord. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I, no. It's a hard word to say. You got to say no. Stop something this week. Cancel it. Get out of it. Blame, blame it on Pastor Josh. I don't care what you do. Just I, I, I can't. Pastor Josh said no. Like, well, you, just, you just get out of something. right? Because every time you say yes, it's an invitation to busyness. Now listen, it is easy to say no to lame things. It is easy to say no to lame things. If you invite me over to your house for kale salad and to watch Christian television, no, I'm not going to no. That sounds awful. I do not want to do that. If, if a seventh grader asked me to go to her basketball game, no, I'm not going to do that. No, because the final score is 4-3. That is boring. I'm not going, I'll wait till you're a sophomore and you're scoring more points, girl. Like, no, I'm not. Here's where it's tough is when you say no to good things. And you have to do that. 
Say no to good stuff because there's wisdom that comes in from God's spirit. We need the wisdom because life is not about simple choices. 1,440 minutes a day, everybody in the room gets the same amount. You can't change that. And if you've got so much to do, maybe you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're doing good things that aren't in God's great plan for your life. Let me say that again. Maybe you're doing good things. I say no to good things because they're not part of God's great plan for my life. Just because you're busy doesn't mean it's God's will. Remember, God's will is that you would love him and love others. Love him and love others. And for many of us, that's not happening because we're so busy. We've consumed so much into that 1,440 minutes per day. You cannot make more time. By the way, Jesus did not say yes to everything. He didn't. He didn't heal everybody. He would leave communities and there were still needs to be met. And you don't think he was busy. He was the savior of the world. Try being the savior of the world. Oh, that's right. Some of you have tried and you're trying it now and it's not working. If he can't do everything, you can't either. Slow down and stop something this week. Friends, if we're gonna be a follower of Jesus, something has to happen about the way we live our lives. It has to happen with our pace. And the third thing is the green light is to go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. I just want you to go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. What would it look like this week if you were to be yoked to him? I'll tell you what it would look like. You'd have less stress and more peace. You'd have less race and more love. You'd have less busy and more Jesus. The more I follow Jesus, the more I realize I'm actually called to be his apprentice, to follow him, to learn his ways, to learn his rhythm. Life is less about the pace and the chase and the race and more about just enveloping myself in God's grace. That's what life's about. I want you to capture this image one more time. I want you to see this. Think of yourself being yoked side by side to Jesus and watch how he does life. Read the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How does he do life? Oh, wow. That doesn't look anything like my life. What if the next time somebody says to you, you keep him busy and you say, actually, I'm trying not to. I'm trying to slow down and enjoy the stillness of life and enjoy my family. I love that Cliff said, I miss my family. Some of you missed your family and they, they're here. His are eight hours away right now. I'm just trying to enjoy life. I'm trying not to keep busy. I'm trying to hear that still small voice of Jesus. How about you? You keep him busy and then just stare at him. <laughs> Let's return to the image we started with. When a NASCAR race starts, the announcer says, ladies and gentlemen, Start your engines. What if this week you said, ladies and gentlemen, let's turn our engines off. Let's get out of the car and walk away from the racetrack and meet Jesus over there by the stream. By the way, did you notice the stream? Let me zoom in. Read, meet me by the stream. This is where Jesus has got his arm around us. We're yoked together with him, remember? Shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, and he goes, hey, I know that racetrack over there, you're, you're really comfortable with that because that's how you typically do life, but that's not how I want you to do life, son. I want you to be yoked to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see this stream? 
I created this dream with a rhythm and a pace to it. And this is how I want you to live life. Not crazy. I want you to slow down, Reed, to find out what is beneath your yes. I want you to stop some things, say no to some things this week, and I want you to go on that relaxed walk with me. And I think on Labor Day, it's an apropos message to say, let's try this, church, and see if we can cut out some of the chaos and stress that so many of you are experiencing. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just pause to thank you for your amazing love and grace that you give to us. Thank you that you modeled how to live life and you've come to help us live life to the fullest. In the depths of our hearts, we wanna be yoked to you, to walk with you, to sense your presence and to hear your still, small voice. May we become people who learn to walk and not always run. And Lord Jesus, I know there are people here today who desperately need a relationship with you. They can't walk with you because they don't know you. They know a lot about you. They don't know you. And I would love nothing more for, than for this day for them to begin that relationship and that walk, that journey with you. We do this at the end of every single service because it's that important. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would love for, for someone who's here to say, you know what, Reed, that's me. I, who you described today, you read my mail. And I want less race and less chase. I need God's grace. And I would love to walk you through a relationship with Jesus and begin that today. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment that you would receive that. You would leave here with that abundant life that we've been talking about. Abundant life here and eternal life in heaven. That's promised to you in John 10 and John 3 but I need to know who I'm praying for. So I'm gonna ask you to slip your hands in just a moment. I'm gonna count to three. And I want you to shoot your hand up when I get to three, if that's you. You say, Pastor Reed, include me in that prayer. I'm, we're not gonna make you come down. I'm not gonna make you stand up in front of everybody. And everybody's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. This is just between you, the Lord, and me. So I know who I'm praying for. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three. Shoot your hand up if you wanna be included in this prayer. Read, I need a relationship with Jesus. I wanna walk with Jesus today. One, two, Three. Awesome. 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 I see all your hands. I love it. Right, you can put your hands down. Let's just pray together. The word says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I want you to confess this. Just whisper this over your lips this morning. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for me, for my sins, that you were buried, but you rose again. And you beat death and you beat hell and you give me the power to do the same thing by putting my faith in you today. Come into my life. Take over the driver's seat. You're in control from this point forward. Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And help me to live the life that you modeled so well in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap? There were about six people that put their hand up today. I love it. I love you. I love it. I love it. That never gets old.